and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I'm once again here with my co-hosts, Wayne and Hannah and Monica. Hey guys, how's it going? Happy New hey, Year. Happy New yeah, Year, yeah. Today is New Year's Day as we podcast live. Actually, is it New Year's Day or New Year's Eve? I got it. I'm bad at New Year's Day is New Year's Day. New Year's Day. Yeah. Okay. I know that because I was at a New Year's Eve party last night and partying and having a good time. And it is live as I podcast. Yeah. That's totally a thing. Yeah. (laughs) I definitely have celebrated my 10 year anniversary with my partner. Oh, yay. Congratulations. Congratulations. It's on New Year's Uh, Eve. New Year's Eve. Yeah. Okay. We, we, is, we did a When Harry Met Sally, yes. Okay, because I was like, I mean, I, I, cute and adorable for the story, but like, if you're actually trying to like, I, I can imagine there's a lot of logistical stuff with like, to actually plan things like anniversaries and stuff when there's a real holiday in real life because you're not a movie. We stay home now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we cook fancy things at home and don't try and go out because also like if you want to go out for new year's eve or valentine's day there's a prefix menu at all the nice places and it's a lot of money Mm -hmm. yeah my anniversary is two days after um halloween so it's not an interesting day to anybody but us (laughs) you know i mean like it's great for us but it's literally like hey happy november 2nd yeah this is hey look can we we get a restaurant reservation turns out we can just call 10 minutes early it's fine (laughs) especially if it like falls on a wednesday or something (laughs) just like no just just show up (laughs) yeah yeah, there's i mean I, i recently told this story on on my other show because Anna post on on GGW asked how you know how we met and how we started dating and everything and we got married you know on our on our wedding anniversary we literally eloped and not eloped I mean to say it was eloped implies that we went somewhere no we got married at our favorite sushi restaurant <laughs> for money that we found in our couch cushions is uh, <laughs> it is I highly recommend it <laughs> and I didn't do the ceremony no we used the self we used the self uniting wedding ceremony you know it, literally yeah. the absolute cheapest possible version of getting married which was hey look we found we clean the house and we've got all this change and we need to go to the bank and take it it was like oh we have 140 dollars. what do we want to share let's get married but our budget is literally just the 140 dollars and change that we found around the house that's it not a penny more so i highly recommend that not what we're talking about today this is a weird throwback of of my weird my weird life what are we doing today on this first show of the year we're we're not we're we're absolutely not announcing the winner of the box office game we're saving that for later we we could Um, but we just we'll just do it next next week or in two weeks for no apparent reason we're just not we're we're not going to do it today even though we totally know the answer because it has finished already it it, it was wonka right wonka was the thing that made so much money i mean if there is a movie of the holidays i think it's fair to say that wonka could be given that title I think arguments can be made for other movies, but yeah. it's definitely not Aquaman. Aquaman's definitely not the movie of the season. It could have been. Nope. I mean, we'll say, you know, obviously we know which of Wonka and Aquaman made the most money this last couple of weeks, but we're not going to say, even though we totally do know the answer because it's in the past. Yes. Huh? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
And no one cares enough to reverse engineer our formula and our picks to figure it out. So so instead of that, we're going to do another show that we've been doing as tradition for the past couple of years, which I think was Wayne's original idea, which is the things you've missed for right. 2023. That was How does this idea. work? This is mine. <laughs> so this is my idea or not. <laughs> I'm, Go with it. I'm, I'm like 90 percent sure. Okay, I believe you. So, so every podcast, if you listen to a podcast, you know, I assume you listen to other podcasts if you listen to ours. I mean, if you just listen to our podcast, we're the only one you listen to. I am honored, you know, but but presuming you're a podcast fan, you've probably listened to a lot of shows that have done like the best of 2023 and talked about like the best movies or books or music or whatever, you know, TV shows, the best media that fits the theme of the podcast of the year 2023. So you've probably heard a lot of that. You've probably heard a lot of people saying stuff like, we, we love Barbie and, you know, other, yeah. that's not what we do on our show. We're doing, here's a list of things that you miss, which is to say, here's some media that we enjoyed from the last year that maybe you know we never talked about before because it's not it's a lot of stuff that like probably not a lot of people would ever bother to book an individual episode of a podcast on so we just thought we'd sort of run through some of our lost favorites of the year Is that basically how this works yeah and yeah yeah things you missed things mm-hmm. you probably missed and I think from year to year, this kind of boils down to a lot of our, our individual interests aren't necessarily hugely widely pop cultural things that we watched or, or participated in that we enjoyed may have flown under the radar. Not everything, but definitely we things that we sh- really haven't talked about. We don't share these with each other ahead of time, which means that, you know, as the listeners are hearing it, they're new for us on the air. And this is, again, one of my favorite shows of the year because this is the show that brought Man versus Bear into my life. Yeah. which will forever be be the greatest reality show of all time and and that was a wayne pick i think the first year we did this maybe i think it was the first year yeah Mm -hmm. pretty early it's been like i in my brain that's a covid show that we just we couldn't leave the house so we're watching man versus bear i think uh, it wasn't i think it predates covid even and yeah i mean it's so hard because what what was our life before man versus bear (laughs) (laughs) it changed everything changed Uh, not for man if not for man versus bear i submit we would not have cocaine bear i agree and that's kind of i was i mean i think that cocaine bear owes so much to man versus bear i like i i cannot imagine a world where that didn't happen and i've been gaming recently uh, video gaming which i haven't done in a long time playing diablo 4 wherein my druid character can turn into a bear so (laughs) yeah i mean that's primarily the reason i chose that character class because i can turn into a bear i am so sad that there is no like i don't understand how there has not been a updated remake you know of man versus bear <laughs> like like how like, not a remake i guess like a second I'm, season yeah, like I'm how gonna, come I'm this gonna, is not okay. happening because the same every time mav but in yeah. just different no, well, yeah. i need yeah. more of it i need more yeah, of it. i i think they, they need to match it match it up with survivor or the bachelor and just turn bears loose on the set Ooh. oh my god monica monica it's our time it's our time to talk about the golden bachelor yes! <laughs> Is that where we get to start it? Sure. I mean, I assumed that was going to come up. That was one of the things because yep. so, so, all right. So I guess we'll start many of these. Like you said, these are not things that we have talked about with each other, at least not officially, but we have referenced many times in the show before that we have a persistent group chat going on that, you know, between the five of us, Katya couldn't be here today, but between the five of us where we discuss things and it might be our personal lives. It might be literally home improvement tips. That's mostly me and Hannah. It might be talking about media and for much of the last year, 
for Monica and Hannah, it has been? Well, I think it's only been a couple months, but we were robbed of a full <laughs> the golden bachelor. Just a couple of months because there, there was build up. There was looking forward to this for months before it came out. I mean, there <laughs> was the fact that I put in the group chat when they released the cast photo. And then I put it next to the photo of Sister Wives. And I was like, I think this is the shit show I've been waiting for, guys. Because... <laughs> I swear to God, the same PR team thought, what if we just drape a bunch of women around this one man and then have them all smile uncanny valley at you as if this is a thing that they all want? And I can tell you, no one wants it. No one wants it so much because the thing about The Bachelor is you're kind of watching the show, but really what you're doing is participating in the larger internet discourse that is happening mm-hmm. during The Bachelor. Bachelor and Nation. For those of you who did not pay attention to all of the gossip drops, you missed an entirely second show, right? Like for the listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, our Bachelor, this is the first year that they have decided to do a 70-year-old Bachelor who is dating women also somewhere in the 50 to 70 age range, trying to find love. There's 50-year-olds, so there's people who are 20 years younger I, than him. I'm trying to figure out what is the youngest. Might be 55. but Cradle rub. Cradle rub. I'm so shocked. It is essentially, (laughs) I think that you should be able to get the senior citizen discount at Denny's. Like, I think that is the cutoff for the AARP discount and the magazine. When you start getting the magazine, you qualify for the Golden Bachelor. I got my first AARP magazine at 13. (laughs) They started sending them to me when I was like 13 years old. Seriously. An old soul, (laughs) Bav. Yeah. Okay, actually, okay, I got confirmation from Entertainment Weekly. They have to be at least 60 years old. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So, so somewhere between 60 to 70, Gold, Mr. Golden Bachelor is 70. And the yeah. story is that he is a widow and he has not dated since his wife died. It's like a point of order. So I knew that. And because and was so his wife and I knew it was like a, hey, I'm ready to find love again. And I'm an older gentleman. And it says, oh, I guess it says he's, he's 72. And uh, according to Wikipedia, but is it he hasn't dated since his wife died? 35 years ago or he hasn't dated since his wife died last month I do not remember the and I should have looked it up but the original timeline but it is somewhere in the like 5 to 10 year range so decades it, he's so he's he mourned for a while this is not a he this is a this is a hey it's been several presidents since I had to go on a first date kind of situation well that is the thing Mav and that is why this gets so juicy and that okay. is because by the time that we get down to the finale episode in mm-hmm. which he will be choosing a woman and then getting married to her via a televised wedding at some point time in the near future. January 4th, 2024. His ex-girlfriend comes <sighs> out publicly and says, hey, wait a minute. You started dating me three months after your wife died. And we were together oh. for three years. I lived in oh. your house. You made me go Dutch on everything. You nickel and dimed me because you were a cheapskate. And she goes through her laundry list of grievances about... Is she on the show or is this just no, like in the internet? No, no, no. That's why I was like... saying that you watch The Golden Bachelor, but what you really do is you participate in Bachelor Nation, which is... Gotcha. Which is all of the social media frenzy that surrounds watching Golden Bachelor. And then things so, explode. <laughs> I... I'm linking this in the show notes for people to see what Monica is referencing, which is the Hollywood Reporter article that came out about all this. But also, I mean, the thing about the bachelor, the Golden Bachelor, that was interesting to me 
is that it was like deeply sentimental for like the first half. Like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. everyone like, else's spouses are also dead. You should like, like, like just take a shot. <laughs> like, like I, cry, I mean, you all know I cried at Nicole Kidman's AMC commercial. The internet knows it's fine. I have no shame. Like I cried everything. So obviously I cried at the Golden Bachelor. It's fine. But I and I and for a little while I like forgot like why I don't like The Bachelor. And it's not just because of like the petty dramas of like the 20 and 30 year olds that are typically on the show or the very long editing. I'll say this about The Golden Bachelor. It was tight. They stuck to their hour, hour and a half. There were no like too many like long lengthy pauses. Like when I've watched The Bachelor with my sister, they'll like cut to commercial and then back from commercial. And then it'll be like a two minute recap of what happened before they went to commercial. And then three minutes later, it's like back to commercial. It's like this two hour torture ad fest and nothing happens until the very end where they cliffhanger it and have you come back next time. But the Golden Bachelor was snappy. It was brisk. But, you know, I I forgot for a little while between the good editing and the pickleball and learning that was a real sport. I know. I I, there is a pickleball competition, which someone absolutely does injure a hip. Like, there is something about this where they are hitting the cliches (laughs) and no one is, like, meaning to. And and there are things that are kind of wonderful about that. And it holds them. Yeah. (laughs) And the women are very funny and, like, and, you know, like, you know, he, like, married his childhood sweetheart, like, high school sweetheart, and they had a beautiful life together, and then they, like, dream was to retire, and then she died. Like, how can you not cry? And then, like, he, like, starts sending women home one by one and the relationships get deeper such that relationships can get deeper with a film crew and a lot of other women and like three weeks of dating or ever how long the filming schedule is and then like women start like crying and thinking they're going to be with him and it's not them and there's only one winner on the bachelor and it's sad and anyway it's like this yeah i don't know i it tricked me for a while it made me think it was a sweeter show and also i was told by jesse the host that it was going to be the most dramatic finale ever and it was not well that's because you weren't paying attention to the internet discourse this is another one where it gets down to the final two women and apparently inside the fantasy suite which everyone needs to know is the one time on the entire show where the cameras are not present and you are allowed to either use that time to talk about secret private things and i will say that for the golden bachelor the emphasis was on the secret private things because then the runner-up decides to come out and say that during fantasy suites she was told that she was the winner yes (laughs) honestly they should have televised because then it would have been the most dramatic finale ever yes Except for the guy who did sleep with all of the women and then oh. end up with none of them at the finale. That was actually pretty great. Also, the time, is that the same guy who, like, told a woman that he wouldn't tell anyone what happened in the fantasy suite and then he, like, told the whole world? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, like, don't, see, so- I, don't understand, I don't understand this show. Because I've tried to watch The Bachelor before, and this is not a macho thing, which will be very evident in a moment. Because, you know, like, I guess the typical boy thing to be would be like, well, I, I don't watch that. It's a girl show. I don't watch that show. I find it boring. I will absolutely watch Joe Millionaire, which I love. I, the Joe Millionaire came back this year. Love that show. I have watched. I've tried to watch. I, I've watched Married by America. I've tried to watch Married at First Sight. Didn't really love it. Like I watch a lot of these shows. Can't fuck Island. Love Can't Fuck Island. Like that was again one of my favorite shows. And Monica too hot to and, handle. Yes, yeah, Can't Fuck okay. Island. Yes, also called really called too hot to handle. Monica and I 
talked at length. We had a whole episode of our show devoted to talking about MILF Manor. No notes. I find The Bachelor itself to be boring because like like I don't want there to be a prize of getting to the end where you can get to this secret time where you get to not be on TV. How is that interesting for me? I mean, I, I understand why that might be useful to you if you're trying to have a real relationship, but I'm a at-home television viewer. I want to see you fuck or argue. I want to see you betray the love of your life slash your, the love of your last three weeks so that like, you know, for the benefit of television, that's what makes good content. And if you're not here for good content, then why are you wasting my time? I don't need to watch your, like, if I want to hear about somebody's relationship drama, um, that should be my friend. You know, like, I'll I'll listen to what you guys talk about. Is inherently flawed in that someone always has to get engaged, and that's how you win. Like, there is, Mm -hmm. that's why the best season to me is the one where he fucks all of them, and then they say, screw this, and he ends up with none of them. Like, the reason, and I will throw it out there, it's on my list, I'm gonna make us talk about 90 Day Fiance as a thing that I know that everybody else missed because it is a personal mission to make other people watch 90 Day Fiance with me, but, like, the thing that I enjoy is the will they won't they of getting engaged and married because you do have this like couples where you want them to and where you don't want them to and with the bachelor they kind of largely don't want them to and so the fact yeah. that the way that they win is by doing the thing that i don't think they should feels terrible like it's so much more fun to watch the first like six weeks of the show than it is to watch the part where people act like they want a Neil Lane ring and a Vera Wang dress. Like I just, all of these, by which I mean all of these things just feel too manufactured in this way that I can't buy into. Oh, The Bachelor, I think perfects like manufactured romance. Like even in this season, the parts I enjoyed, they really leaned into like, well, what do people think is romance based on us being studio executives? Let's make it happen on these dates. I will say that the date where they rode around in a vintage car, because again, you have to make these dates cute and for old people to remind them when they were young. And then they make them drive on a California highway in a car <laughs> that really seems like it's going to get crushed at any moment. It was absolutely Absolutely the opposite of romance and was probably my favorite moment because I like when things go wrong <laughs> because it felt real to watch them be terrified about having to drive around in this absolutely not highway safe car. This is why I think I prefer concepts of shows like Love is Blind better because it feels like everyone has a chance and like they can't and, and like the, the whole point of Love is Blind is to just you know talk and talk and like try and figure out if you're compatible at all. Whereas like The Bachelor, I feel like just sets people up for failure because you knew he wasn't picking Faith once he went to her horse farm and she was like, yeah, I'm not moving. Like they, they, they bring in contestants from all over the country. And like a lot of those contestants are like, yeah, I'll be on TV, but I'm not moving. And so it's already doomed, you know? Which like, now I'm going to segue. You want to watch people move, particularly on the international scale. Might I suggest you try 90 Day Fiance? (laughs) (laughs) I will say this is the best season I have seen 
I started watching, this was my big pandemic watch because there were so many episodes and it was just on all the time. And it felt very comforting that when the rest of the world had stopped, their 90 Day Fiance was always there. And it remains always there because there are so many spinoff shows. But this season in particular is a Stefan meme of it has everything. There is a dad that believes in aliens. There is a man who is 32 years old and lives in Los Angeles in an apartment without a bathroom. There is a, a man whose mom lives in his closet because his guinea pigs are taking up the living room. There is a woman who spent her wedding dress money getting ass implants. Like, I don't know what more you need when I what? tell you. <laughs> what? Okay, you've, you've sold me. I will watch this. Which of those things <laughs> I need to know was the one it's that, the that really... It was the ass implants. I will say she got 8,000 of the ass implants for the wedding dress. The other 2,000 came from her ex-boyfriend. And she still hasn't told her husband. I, you know, I'm kind of regretting that we don't always do... We don't ever do visuals because the face just... It's like a Reddit am I the asshole post, but in real life. Like yeah. The whole thing. All of those things together. It was all of those things together. And it will last more than 10 minutes of reading the comments. So, okay, let's bring it on. Just the gift <laughs> right. that keeps on giving. All right. So I don't have much to add, th add to this because I've not seen any of these shows. But can I pitch you one, Monica? Because there was one that I did enjoy that was a Netflix dating show that I, I see what you think about this. So one that I watched with with Stephanie, my wife, I Steph watches a lot of shows where and this is not a, is this it is the, not a is it the naked one. No, I have not seen that. I, I am watched curious. it for you. So you don't have to. But please okay. tell me. Um, <laughs> this one's not this. This is on Netflix. And this is the, the show is called The Ultimatum. Marry or move on. Yes. Oh, yeah. So I watched it. the gay one. Okay. Yes, I was going to bring that up. There's been two seasons, a straight season and a gay season. And the premise of the show, the straight season, I didn't love because everyone was boring. Whereas the uh, the gay one was, I mean, they were just the women on the, I mean, I don't know what to call it. Other, I mean, I, They didn't, it wasn't called the gay season. Mine as well. I think it might have been called like. It was called Queer Ultimatum. Yeah, but it was essentially the premise of the show, which should make clear the premise of the show is you have a couple who has been dating for a long time and maybe one of them is really ready to commit and get married and the other is not being great about it so the show takes these couples i think there's six of them seven something like that there's you know a handful of couples it takes the couples and it mixes and matches the couples and then and then literally you know goes sends you off to have a relationship with a random member from the other couple and you're supposed to you're supposed to live as though you're engaged to each other um, call it for a trial like, marriage it, yeah for like three weeks and then they I mean it's literally like hey okay hey Hannah maybe you and Josh are having problems in your relationship so what's going to happen is we're going to send you off for three weeks where Josh is going to be married to Monica and Lindsay who's Monica's partner is going to be married to Hannah and you guys are just going to deal with that and that's how your three weeks are supposed to go and then you'll come back together and you You'll switch back to your original partner for three weeks. And then at the end of that, we're going to all sit together and have an argument. And then you're going to decide who you're going to marry. That's the show. I would. I would. I mean, just I have tried to watch this you have show. The exact reaction. Yes, I, I have tried to watch this show and it sends me into such an anxiety spiral. I can't do it. 
what's amazing to me because like because what's amazing to me is you'll you'll have people who they take this seriously they're like oh i don't some of them are like this is ridiculous and crazy because it's a ridiculous and crazy concept and the others are like well we're married now so i guess we fuck and My then favorite they, was, so they line everyone up at a table and they make you give a proposal speech to your like three week spouse of yes. the full prospects of the person that you are choosing to live with. And some people give these really beautiful speeches. And then you get to the end of the table. And one of the speeches was one of the contestants looking at the rest of the table going, I kind of hated all of you. I hated you the least. So I guess we'll do this. And to be honest, this was my favorite because that was real. <laughs> I, may I ask, did they work out? Because I can't watch. It's too anxiety inducing for me. But now I want to know. I will say so that, Which season you're talking about? There's been three from, seasons. Of, this yeah, is from like, Queer Ultimatum. From and queer, I will okay. say, it, it does seem like the straight people seem to have worked a little better than the queer couples in terms of ones who have gotten engaged and stayed engaged. Only one mm. couple, Queer Ultimatum, got engaged and is still engaged to this day, which mm-hmm. not a good track record. <laughs> I would right. say largely if you have to pressure your potential partner into going on to a reality show where you either marry or break up, you probably just break up anyway. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's not good TV. So. <laughs> Wayne will be old enough to remember this. I don't know if either Hannah or Monica has like real memories of the early day. Well, the early days of the of the Jerry Springer show, which went on for longer. But this is there was an era when Jerry Springer was on up against Ricky Lake and Jenny Jones and Sally Jesse Raphael. Wayne, you remember this era, right? Oh, I think yeah. Maury had the show. Maury Povich had the show, and they're all yeah. basically the same show. So now Springer lasted longer and his show eventually became just chaotic weirdness but in the early days all of these shows were essentially i'm bringing my spouse on to admit that i've been cheating or to admit that you know there's been you know there's always some problem and the joke was always you know okay so we're going on the show and they bring out the person who's announcing the secret first so the audience can talk to you and then your spouse is supposed to like hang out in the soundproof booth. If your partner brings you on Jenny Jones or, you know, R- Ricky Lake or, or Jerry Springer and they have you sit in the soundproof booth, don't leave. Never come out the booth. Like you'd have to drag me out. <laughs> nothing good can, like, outside the booth, nothing good can happen for you. Why are you like, like if, if you're, if your partner's like, Hey, I've got an idea. Let's go on this show. The ultimatum say no, no, <laughs> no, this is not going to work out for you. There's no good reason to, for this. So uh, I don't know. That's just my can feeling I, on. Can I maybe bring up it's amazing the, other, the other dating show with Booth now? Which would be the naked one? Mm-hmm. Did anybody else watch Naked Attraction on HBO? I canceled my Max. All right, I, I haven't. It's, okay, so it it is in fact in my watch list, my two watch list. I just haven't gotten to it because, of say- course, I want to see this. <laughs> Every episode is relatively the same, so it really depends how many of the six seasons you want to get through. But it is a UK show in which they put, I think, five or six people in a tube and you eliminate people based on learning small things about them over time. Now, the small things that you're learning about them is that first thing that you see is just 
every person from the waist down. You don't know what they look like from the waist up. <laughs> you only know what they look like from the waist down. Naked. Once naked. You've a, naked. Down, 100% naked. And I will warn the viewers, the whole point of this show is that nothing is blurred out. And then mm. the host and the person who is interested in dating go around and talk about everyone's genitalia and then make a decision being like so my understanding is literally you're just i mean like this is quite frankly would you enjoy that penis or no okay okay that's exactly what i am saying and then you know they make them do a little 360s that you can see some butt cheeks and then they move on and then they show you everything from the neck down and then you decide how you feel about the rest of that body and then they finally show you the face and then they finally ask that face a question. They might also ask while still hovering the face or the contestants to put on costumes and do a little dance, perhaps as like a sexy cat or a sailor. It is absolutely the scariest thing that I watched on television all year. <laughs> I still made it through an entire season. They then make you go on a date. Then they make them come back later and report as if they are still speaking. And I do really enjoy the fact that very few of these seem to work out based on choosing people on their physical characteristics. Because again, it takes until like step four before you're allowed to ask anyone a personal question. (laughs) You're literally, you're totally judging. I mean, you're real life hindering, right? Like you're judging based purely on, I I like those boobs. I want to bone that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Love it. No note. And it is, (laughs) I, I will say they do a very great job with casting in terms of diversity. Like there is body diversity. There is folks with lots of tattoos and piercings there are people with who are immigrants to the uk like there are straight relationships there are queer relationships they seem to and also they seem to take the daters preferences into account if somebody has said Mm. that they prefer somebody who you know has bigger boobs i would say that all of the contestants usually have Mm. bigger boobs so so it does feel like there is attempt to make this a hard decision (laughs) Um, which also makes it even stranger that you were then um, choosing to eliminate someone maybe based on the color of their nipples. Like, and, and really the choices that people come to, it is, Steph really should watch this because it is a study into the human mind that I don't know that yeah. I ever wanted, but I now have experience. So. I actually really, I mean, I am legit interested. I feel like for our non-reality TV, mm-hmm. um, especially reality tv dating audience they might be listening to this episode and think yeah i missed all this and i'm glad i did yeah well yeah i was gonna say do we want to try some of the non-reality tv show things because i've got the this was a weird yeah, I, year I have, I, have a, I have a few tv things so in in yeah. i mentioned in in the chat everybody else seemed unprepared this year this is the first year i actually was making note of things yeah. as the year yeah. went by like you're I, the only yeah. one who didn't just do this today right because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every year I'm, I'm doing that whole wait what did i read what did i watch this year so mm-hmm. i was making an effort to remember things well, so, but, but i have several well, tv I mean, things so. Oh, so okay well yeah i mean so you have non-reality tv or yeah well, yeah, yeah. Was, I, I, don't, I, I really don't watch reality tv at all i, I never have yeah. those shows you were mentioning i was aware Man of them that's the one okay yes <laughs> right I, I stand corrected <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, if we should do a bear dating show, which has all kinds of ramifications. But anyway, <laughs> these do exist. I have, I have, uh, I have partaken. So. <laughs> and, and some of these go back to last spring, so I'm a little vague on specific details. But there was, I, I, I made the note of the show. I don't remember what network it was on. I think it was Prime. Show based on the novel Daisy Jones and the Six, which I think I recommended as a book. So just the story of a, a fictional account of a band that got really popular in the 70s. If you know anything about music of the 70s, it they take on Fleetwood Mac with, without oh. any doubt. Um, yeah. uh, it was really well done. Uh, the, the band starts out in Pittsburgh, so there's all kinds of neat little Pittsburgh references. I don't think it was filmed here, so you don't actually see Pittsburgh, but there's some nice little Easter eggs for the Pittsburgh crowd. Riley Keogh, I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Yes. Um, she is the lead singer of the band, and uh, she's also the granddaughter in real life of Elvis Presley. And it's kind of fascinating to watch the granddaughter of Elvis Presley play a character who is singing in the 70s with massive drug mm-hmm. problems. They're just this extra little meta level of, of stuff going on. But it, it's, it ties into my music interest, obviously, but I, I found it very entertaining and enjoyable. Um, Poker Face, which was on Peacock. Yes, yes. yes. That was so good. Natasha Leone. I mean, it, it's a take. I'm old enough to remember 1970s detective shows. And this was such a tribute to that formula. She channeled Peter Falk and Columbo. It, it, and and the, the, the show was set up exactly like an episode of Columbo where you see that how in the first 10 minutes. And then the rest of the show was watching her figure it out. And that sounds like that would be you know, anticlimactic, but it is so smart the way it's written, the way she comes to the conclusions, the way she puts things together. Usually every episode, we, we see this first 10 minutes of what's going on with the murder. And then over the course of the show, you realize that, oh, she was around during all of this. We just didn't see her in that opening sequence. So you get other pieces of the puzzle based on her observations of it. But it just she was so good. One of my favorite TV shows of the year. As a commentary to that, I really feel like Ryan Johnson is so good at mystery. Like, I think, I don't think some of his other stuff is bad or anything, but I think like Knives Out, Poker Face, he's the creator of Poker Face. Mm. It's really where he shines. Like, I... Even Brick, which is like his earliest film, is to see a mystery done by Ryan Johnson on a budget of like $20,000, it's incredible. Starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, actually, in one of his first roles. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. And I, yeah, I think that first adult um, roles. He was a Levitt was a child star as well. Yeah, it was his, sort of his adult breakout role. We'll yeah, tra- transitional. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, Brick. And, and like I said, like like I, I enjoyed Brothers Bloom, but I felt like it fell flat, like kind of toward the end. And um, we don't need to be a podcast that talks about the Last Jedi. But, you know, you know, I think Mysteries is really like it's found something. That's all I'm saying. It, it, yeah. it's, it's all good. And I'm excited that other people watched Poker Face and enjoyed it. Yeah. Hulu on Hulu is Reservation Dogs. This is actually the third mm-hmm. season of it. And I think it was the final season. I think it's final. That's sh- yeah. That's the show. I've, it's just a show I've consistently enjoyed from the beginning. Just well written and a lot of fun, but a lot of deeper stuff as well. And it really hit me this season because you know, it starts out. It's the story of you know, these young friends growing up on the Native American reservation and and their adventures and the, the things they get into. But over the course of three seasons, you realize how much of a generational show this is. From the first season, you see the elders of the tribe, the parents, the grandparents, you know, some of the older people. And over the course of three seasons, you get more and more of their backstories. And you start seeing that that continuity of 
time. Uh, this season, there was a flashback episode of from the 1970s, and it was a whole group of the characters we know as older people as teenagers in the 70s. And there was absolutely no acknowledgement of like, oh, this is who this is. You just kind of had to pick up on it. And mm. You watch that and you realize, oh, they're just going through the same things. You know, it's we're all living the same life. You know, the things that are so important to these kids in, in 2022 and, and how important this is and, and how big it is and how life changing it is. And them sort of being a little dismissive of, of some of the elders and whatever. And then you see this as like, oh, they, you know, they went through the same thing, how important this was. And then, you know, they get married and have jobs and have kids and, and life moves on. And there's a little bit of that sense of loss for youth on the part of the older characters and the younger characters starting to see the humanity of, of their elders as well, that they have all experienced this life. Thing. I just thought it so well written, so well put together in those ways. There's a, a character, he's claims to be a shaman. He's an, one of the older guys. He's kind of big. He has this very distinctive voice and he basically smokes a lot of pot. I think that's his primary qualification for being a shaman is he smokes a lot of pot. And in the flashback episode, there's just this larger kid who gets out of the car smoking a joint. And the moment he starts talking, you know who it is because he captured the other actor's voice and mannerisms just dead on. I just really impressed the acting in that. And so a lot going on there. I have one more TV show and then I'll shut up about TV. Um, this is on Prime. It's a British show. I actually think it came out in 2022. I didn't discover it till this spring. It's called The Devil's Hour. Uh, and one of the stars is Peter Capaldi, 12th Doctor. Mm-hmm. This was probably Doctor my Who. Favorite. Yeah, Doctor Who. Yes. Sorry, I'm going to stop. She's doing a bit. It's clever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is probably my favorite TV of the year, six episodes, and I don't know how to describe it without spoiling everything about it, so I'm not going to go too deep. It has some well-used tropes that we've talked about on this show that I feel a little stupid that I didn't figure out before I did. Yeah, there's elements of time, there's elements of alternate dimensions, there's a mystery of why Capaldi is doing the things. I, don't, I have no idea how to describe the show, other than I found it absolutely compelling, and once you've, you've figured out, once you get through the six episodes, it definitely pays going back and watching it again. That's my TV. I I have to claim one TV thing that's not reality TV, which is jury duty. Yes, um, I was. I figured we, that was going to come up. That was on my list of maybes, but yes, we we will do a show about it at some point. Well, more about like the concept of it. But jury duty is a um, short sitcom uh, that aired on free TV. It is now nominated for um, Best Comedy at the Emmys and Golden Globes and James Marsden, who was playing a Best Supporting Actor role as a like narcissistic version of himself, has also been nominated as Best Supporting Actor. Just mm. amazing. Tom slash reality um, television show. Yep. So that it's a it's a reality TV show in the sense that it's a mockumentary in the style of The Office um, about a group of jurors in California, like going through a civil trial. But all the jurors except one juror number six, played by himself, who does not know that he's playing something, Ronald Gladden. Like everything else is fake. Like the case is fake. Everybody who's a juror who's not James Marsden is playing a character. They like go to restaurants and like the crew like sets things up. They did like a bunch of improv to prepare to fool Ronald. And basically it's just eight episodes of going through this trial and also setting Ryan up to be frankly a good person. Like it's heartwarming. It's not like, you know, a prank show where like someone's a jerk and Mm -hmm. they're setting him up to fail. And it's kind of ethically weird because like he doesn't know that he's in a fake situation and everyone's lying to him. But also 
also weirdly heartwarming and James Marsden is very funny. And mm. Ronald himself is quite funny in his responses to what is being said. So I also so, watched Jury Duty. It's, it's amazing. I, I, I don't know if anybody else watched it. Was it just me and Hannah? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see it. I, had no, to, I heard I had to sign up for another service. And that was the thing that no, broke me. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's free TV. You can just. It's, yeah. Well, no, you, you have to make it. A, yeah, it's a, it is. A, it's good. It's heartwarming. It's adorable. It's a it made a very good early pandemic show. But, you know, they hadn't filmed it yet. It is it is a show that is supposed to give you faith that there are good people in the world because it's just this one guy is just a nice guy. Now, he's absolutely set up to just be in situations where he essentially has a choice between do you want to be the nice guy or do you want to be the dick? And like, there's nothing to be gained from being a dick. So he tries to be a nice guy a lot. Like they try to manipulate things so that he does end up doing the nice guy things. But it is really entertaining to watch. And Marston does deserve an Emmy. I mean, he was very good at playing himself. <laughs> it's good. If it, For people who have seen or might remember the Joe Schmo show, which I think is the only me on our show, but the Joe Schmo show, a reality show, had a similar premise where where everybody on the show, except for the one guy who's the mark knows that they're on a show and then it's just supposed to show you, you know, how heartwarming a person can be as he tries to live up to the ideals of a reality show and not be ridiculous. I enjoyed it, man. I, I think they should watch it. Yeah, you all should watch it. It's only eight episodes and they're like 20 minutes long. Like, even if you hate it, which you won't, it's not much time out of your life. And see also all the reality TV shows some of us watched. <laughs> this is better than most of those things. Hey, now. <laughs> I'm just saying Ronald didn't tell someone he loved her and then left her. He did help a guy cheat on his girlfriend, but not really, but not exactly. There's a questionable moment. And actually, I guess he didn't help him because he he out. He lets James Marsden help help the guy cheat on his girlfriend. It, it is a very it's an interesting show. <laughs> it is. And again, these no one cheated on anybody. They're fictional characters other than Ronald. So it's interesting. Didn't, no, no, didn't he break up with his girlfriend before that happened? Did he break up break before? Up I feel like I, they, I, I think they broke up. I think they broke up. I think they might was have, no yeah. I think okay. it was just I, uh, I, I just think it was an awkward bit played for comedy. I've got a um, show that's not a reality show. Sorry. And uh, Hannah, this is a show that you also watched. And I want to say we did dedicate an episode to it last year. We did not this year. And I'm going to argue we kind of should have because now it's better. And that's the Gilded Age. Monica, I was right. I was right. They were <laughs> shipping it. Of course they were shipping it. I think that they have finally realized that all we want is some itchy Christine Baranski. And they gave her so much more screen time. The plot still suck. We care yes. less. <laughs> Because they're giving all of the Broadway actors just a little bit more to chew on and letting them be their ridiculous Broadway selves. The entire plot of the second season is, one, should we bust a union, which was poor choice, Julian Fellows, given everything that happened this I mean, year. But the other man. one was, should we go to the opera at the Academy or the Met? That is the entire plot <laughs> of the season. No <laughs> more plot than last time. Still, yes, absolutely still more plot than last time. And therefore, they realize what we want is like Patty Gossip Girl, but in some oldie timey clothes. And they are giving it to me. And I am eating it up. I will be here for season three. All of the problems with the first one have been corrected by just making it more awful this time, which I didn't actually know was possible. But given the fact that I told you that I sold Hannah on some butt implants, turns out maybe we do like the same thing. 
<laughs> and yes. So, but I will have to say, you shouldn't be surprised that Julian Fellows is like, yeah, let's bust the unions. Because this is the same man who had the servants of Downton Abbey, movie one, rise up in rebellion so that they could do more work. Like they trick the royal servants in the Downton Abbey movie so they can serve the king. Like that is the plot of the Downton Abbey movie. And also the former Republican communist Irishman saves the crown twice. So, you know. I will say that Julian Fellows still can't figure out what to do with gay people or black people in that they exist in B plots only that never make their way into A plots in ways that feel (laughs) there is something comical about and it shouldn't be about him watching like trying to be woke and failing so so badly that somehow I'm like willing to still watch it for the amusement of being so out of touch (laughs) that I am like yeah maybe you do know a lot about the Gilded Age you seem from the Gilded Age I don't know there there is something about the fact that none of his politics have updated that I'm like this is historically accurate yep like this man is really obsessed with Anthony Trollope like the Victorian writer who was not a progressive Victorian writer um shall we say so like this is typical Julian Fellows and also I did go see the Downton Abbey movie three times I laughed hysterically more and more each time I saw it so (laughs) what I'm saying is I watch garbage it's a like- full plot in which they a poorly cast Oscar Wilde puts on a play that everyone thinks is bad and then like exists as like the stereotypical like Disney version of what a gay villain would be in this season in ways that yeah really do feel like Julian Fellows has a personal vendetta against what everyone else thinks high culture to be and what he thinks high culture is. Again, in ways that are so bad they're funny. I don't know. Yeah. Problematic. Fun. That's my Julian review. Fellows, yeah. Can't say more than that. I only had one TV show that hasn't been mentioned, I think, that is that, that's new this year. Sort of new. And I believe, Wayne, I believe you might have watched this one, too, though I'm not sure. I watched that 90s show. I watched every I, episode I, of it. Yeah, Go ahead. I, I didn't. It was on the list, but I just it, it was on my list of things to get to and I never got to. I mean, it was it, it just it didn't stay in the cultural zeitgeist long enough, though it has been renewed, though I wonder. I mean, I hope it doesn't get lost in the shuffle because this year was weird you know we had Hollywood was on strike the entire year and Mm -hmm. so the show should have filmed season two during the summer I think and then I don't think they did because none of the writers or actors on the show could work but it is a sequel to that 70s show if you're a fan if you ever watched that we've talked about that 70s show on this show we talked about it on our 20 something teen episode and one of the things that makes that 90s show sort of work is the cast is much more believably teenage than most of the cast was of the 70s show the actors were i think the oldest actor on it is like actually 19 but most of them are 17 years old and they're playing 15 and 16 year olds but they're they are they look like teenagers they're skinny and Mm -hmm. small and they look like you know they look like stranger things kids but they're doing a believable you know they're having kid problems dealing with sex like doing 
you know, dealing with their parents and grandparents being out of touch and they're doing drugs, but light drugs, you know, they're just smoking weed. And it is it's it's updated in that they you have the one character who's gay and he is a farcical gay character because everyone on the show needs to be. But they do a very good job of mixing a 2023 sensibility of trying to be cognizant of queer issues with a believable here's where the world was Mm -hmm. in 1991 92 or whatever year it's supposed to be like so ozzy is the gay kid's name and you can't have ozzy being completely out but he's out with his friends and he has qualms about i want to come out to my parents or not what will this mean you know and he has very reasonable qualms for a character who's supposed to be like 14 or 15 years old and he lives in a world where his best friends are outcasts very much like that 70s show but they love him and none of them care so you know the plot to one episode is him wanting to practice coming out before he tells his parents so he spends the entire episode preparing to come out to kitty foreman so the show is about the it's about leah foreman who is the daughter of donna and eric from the original that 70s show she's spending the summer with her grandparents kitty and red from that 70s show and ozzy wants to come out to her grandmother to kitty because that's the most reasonable adult that i know and it is the kind of decision that a 15 year old would make okay i need to come out i can't come out to my parents yet who you know where where will the small potatoes be i will come out to your grandma because your grandma's cool and it's it kind of works you know like it's sort of adorable and then you have you know much of the series is devoted to leia falls in love with jay kelso who is the son of michael kelso and jackie from the original show like their relationship and do you want to be prejudiced against this kid because you knew what his dad was like when he was his age and it was it's a lot of stuff like that and it's just kind of adorable and then there's a lot of callbacks to the original show it's only 10 episodes in and out they're half an hour each i totally recommend them okay you know what i would also and i will just give an honorable mention to cute kids shows is heartstopper based on the comic a new season that came out this Mm. year and if you want some like fuzzy feelings about queer kids in a show that is overwhelmingly incredibly positive that was one that was a really wonderful comfort watch for me this fall I also really dug, and this just goes back to my teen years in TV, was the Muppet Electric Mayhem show. The focus mm. on the band. I that was good. I, I, he doesn't I, know or, what to do with the Muppets. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, Sorry, yeah, those are some of my favorite Muppets characters because, you know, they're a band, right? Uh, they, they, I I found it adorable. The music was good. I just, I really enjoyed it, but I realized how much of that comes from my fondness for mm. the Muppets, but also specifically that group of Muppets. To get that mm. much of a focus on someone other than Kermit and Fozzie was good. Mm. Well, one more I will mention. I will say yeah. I really loved Shrinking. I wasn't sure how to feel about it the first couple episodes, but I will say, like, I think this is like the most interesting role I've seen Harrison Ford in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I'll leave it there and, and tempt you with Harrison Ford, who should have been nominated for it. Got movies? I have I have several movies, believe which I didn't think I would because again, Hollywood was on strike. And so there was a like I was like, did I see any movies this year? And then I had to go through and go I you know, I went through my AMC movie card and my Netflix subscriptions and stuff. And I actually did see quite a few things where I'm like, Oh, there was a lot that I that I actually really enjoyed. And and my 
first one is actually a documentary and it's a pitch. It's a pitch to Wayne, but I think everybody should watch it. This was made by CNN Films, which who've gotten great at making documentaries the last few years, by the mm-hmm. way. But they have a documentary called Little Richard. I am everything. It, is it was so the good. Little Richard it was story. so, so good. You've seen it. Yeah. Still and, amazing. And, and I'm going to use this as a transition to one of my movies. So but go ahead. Yeah, yeah no, it was. I mean, I'm hoping for an Oscar nomination for best documentary. Yeah. So good. So I mean, you were talking about now here's the problem that for Monica, because you were talking about, you know, good sort of wholesome, you know, pro queer entertainment. This is not that. <laughs> I mean, in some ways it is. But it's also if you know anything about Little Richard, which I did, this is a, so for me, I'm a big Little Richard fan. So I didn't learn a lot from this. It was just all about presentation and Little Richard, as far as gay characters, gay real life people, he is a tragic individual as yep. to yes. how much he struggled with trying to reconcile his queerness versus his devout old school restrictive Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. And like flips back and forth between I am obviously gay and out and queer and in polyamorous relationships with drag queens. You know, I am fabulous. I am little Richard. Hear me roar to God hates queers. This is sinful. You're all going to hell. And he sometimes in the same interview. Yeah. And it's and like and I hadn't seen a lot of because he's dead. I hadn't seen a lot of these interviews in, in quite a while. Some of them were new to me, but he flips back and forth. There is so much self-loathing because yeah. he knows that's him and t- sometimes he wants to he just wants out and what's crazy about it is it's very evident at least from the people that they interview he had a support system he had plenty of people in his life who absolutely would have accepted him for who he was but he couldn't because of his upbringing and so it, he becomes this massively tragic figure and you're watching this man sort of struggle with his identity and struggle with who he is and ultimately fall apart and eventually die, you know, hating himself. And also he is the greatest rock and roller who ever lived. And the, and and playing all of that together is just absolutely both heartbreaking and just unquestionably fascinating. And I, and I would recommend yeah. everybody watch this documentary. Yeah, yeah, really good. I, I agree. Another music documentary. I, I watched this on YouTube. It's called Revival 69. There was a Toronto festival in 1969. It was meant to be Canada's Woodstock. It started out as a like rock and roll revival show. So Little Richard was there, Chuck Berry, Jerry Lee Lewis, Bo Diddley, Gene Vincent, a lot of these big stars from the 50s who hadn't been touring or getting much play in the late 60s. And this is a documentary about the entire show and how it came together. But this show had so many like rock and roll historical moments that are significant. Lennon showed up at uh, the tail end of things. Um, mm-hmm. Just like last minute addition to the show. This is John Lennon who hadn't played live with the Beatles, not counting the rooftop concert. The Beatles hadn't mm-hmm. played live. John hadn't played live in years. And he put together a band that included Eric Clapton and flew in like the night before the show. And they didn't know for sure if he was going to be there. I actually, there's an album of, of this concert that I owned on vinyl when I was, I don't know, 15 years old. Didn't know anything about the show other than it was John Lennon live in Toronto. Yeah. So that was there. The Doors performed at this point. They were like the largest band in the world. Morrison had been arrested in Florida like the week before for indecent exposure. The Alice Cooper band was there in the earliest, some of the earliest days of the Alice Cooper band. Mm. They played backup for Gene Vincent because he didn't bring a band along. This is the famous Alice killed a chicken incident. 
that became okay. legendary took place at this concert. The one of the hosts of it was Kim Fowley. Kim Fowley was the vocalist on the song "They're Coming to Take Me Away." Napoleon the Thirteenth, yep. I believe, or yep, like yep. and he was the producer of the Runaways in the late seventies, and just a, mm-hmm. a, a a force in music in Los Angeles at the time. He was the host of this, and when John Lennon, I believe, it was when John Lennon was coming out, he was introducing him, and it's dark, and and he, he recommended people you know to, to welcome john to hold your lighters in the air and apparently that's the first time that ever took place at a concert people holding lighters up which just became you know, that happened at every concert i ever went to until cell phones were invented so it's just this amazing I feel like the one good thing to come from cell phone is now there's no yeah. fire hazards <laughs> yeah, no fire. right 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 but you, you can't like your joint it you having can't been somebody who, yeah but yeah you can't you can't light your joints with a cell phone though yeah and having been to the concert where you know you'd done the lighter in order to like show your approval there was something special about that because now like anybody can get a cell phone light as a concert moment you can just ask for it but if you wanted people to sit there and hold their fingers against the cigarette lighter for two (laughs) minutes while you did a while you did a guitar solo you had to earn that (laughs) i just there was like when prince got people to do that for purple rain like and you're because you know and you've seen it you can find footage of you know him him doing the you know the guitar solo to purple rain and there's just like a, a crowd full of you know thirty thousand people with lighters in the air going oh you, you know like your fingers get hot yeah there was a power to it little richard was amazing he was definitely one of the strongest parts of the show i'm making an assumption here this wasn't addressed in in the in the documentary but and, and this ties into obscure music stuff so bear with me several years ago and i may have told this story i know mav knows the story dennis dunaway who was the bass player of the original alice cooper group because originally alice cooper referred to the entire band not the band, just the yeah. person uh but dennis dunaway wrote a an autobiography uh through a facebook group he, he was looking for a publisher a friend of mine here in pittsburgh Derek, who runs the everline party that giant halloween party that mav and i have talked about his girlfriend works in the book publishing agency basically she helped dennis get a book deal for his autobiography and as a thank you, he and two members of Blue Oyster Cult came to Derek's house and played a concert. Just one of the weirdest parties I've ever been to in my life with these guys who are all in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Derek's <laughs> living room. Uh, so there are pictures. We were getting pictures and it was a 70s theme kind of thing. Everybody's in costume, but we were getting pictures. So I have a picture of me with Dennis Dunaway. He hung his bass guitar around me, my neck. And this is the bass guitar he recorded schools out with. That He recorded Billion Dollar Babies. Just, I mean, this is, it's a piece of rock and roll history it's an icon and it's has these mirrors embedded in the surface of the guitar to catch stage lights in revival 69 little richard comes out wearing a jacket with mirrors embedded in it to do the exact same thing and there have been lots of people who have used mirrors since then but i believe that's where dennis got the idea for his bass guitar Mm. um because it just it it was so much a part of this movie and little richard's performance and just him being just overwhelmingly powerful in in this show But yeah, if you're a music fan, this is a just it, it has so many pieces of history and a lot of great performances. And it, at the end of it, the Doors were technically the headliner. They were the last band to go on. There's no footage of them. They have mm-hmm. recordings of it. So you're hearing the the live Doors soundtrack, but it's all shots of the crowd and whatever. And I think what happened is John Lennon played right before the Doors. I think all everybody filming the show followed John out to the limos and just completely mm-hmm. ignored the Doors. <laughs> so, <laughs> Robbie Krieger, the guitarist of the Doors, is 
is interviewed for this documentary. He's like, yeah, I have no idea why there's no footage of that. It's weird. <laughs> so, and so, yeah, that, that was my movie transition. But if you have other movies or, you know, you want to go back to Little Richard. Oh, I, I have fiction, but does anybody else have anything else? Oh, oh. Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, Chris Pine <laughs> is a bard, but actually genuinely like thought it would be a good movie. And I sent it to the group chat in like 2021. And I was like, guys, Chris Pine, Reggie John Page, like Michelle Rodriguez, like I'm excited. And Mav said, oh, my God, I'm going to win the box office game this year, um, which, well, we'll see how that turns out. And oh, it, it's and, already happened. We'll, we'll talk about it like in a week or so. We we, we know how, how yeah. the box office game went. Well, but, yeah, yes, but what I yeah. meant was you'll find you just, out. You'll find out. Yes. <laughs> you'll find out in a week or so how that went. And the critics agreed that it was a very good, funny, heartwarming movie. You don't need to like Dungeons and Dragons as a concept to like it. But if you do like Dungeons and Dragons, there's a lot of like inside stuff for you. It's the same people who did Game Night, that comedy with Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams that, and, and Kyle Chandler. And it it's is very good as well, by the way. Yes, it, it's very good. It, it, but like Dungeons and Dragons is really good, you guys. Like it's charming. It's, and, and not, I'm not just saying that because I keep going on about how much I love Chris Pine from Princess Diaries too. It's it, like there, there are a lot of jokes, but there are also like moments that like they just let play straight. And they have a chunky dragon who's like a kitty or a really pudgy corgi. And he's a good boy. And Josh bought me a tree ornament, a Fimberchod. And now he's found a new lair on our tree. And I've told this story, I think, for the Real Christmas Trees episode. But it's still really cute and fun. And, and I I have used that dragon since the movie came out in March till now to help convince Josh he really does want a dog in addition to our cat so we can just have a bunch of little dragon animals be cute so anyway you all should enjoy Dungeons and Dragons it's on Paramount Plus you know that streaming service no one but my parents have that I absolutely do yeah, not so, bum off of yeah yeah um, I have it for all the Star Trek stuff oh yeah, that, yeah that's why my parents have it but they yeah. also like discovered Yellowstone which my mother does not love but she cared enough about to watch all the seasons and recap them <laughs> To me. So what um, we're learning is Paramount Plus is the streaming service for the Golden Bachelor. <laughs> and yeah, and it also has Dungeon Dragon. So you can watch it on um, you know, Paramount Plus and maybe it, it did it was more or less a flop at the box office um but it was really good and paramount has nothing else going for it right now really if we're being honest with ourselves nice and make a sequel um and i think it could be fun it could be yeah. good it's, it's, it's nice it's like you know not everything needs to be like a three hour long drama or you know it or smash yeah. i realized that like none of the recommendations anyone else made has been a three hour long drama or a smash <laughs> but no. I've, I've got a smash for you and it's probably not the one that you think that i'm going to recommend i absolutely love autumn this year okay autumn. thank you so bottoms can, can i just bottoms is yeah. on my things mav missed like bottoms is literally a movie that i was looking forward to that was in theaters for 15 minutes so i didn't get to see it in theaters and then it is on it is currently streaming on mgm plus which i do not have Wait, i am waiting for it to move yes i am waiting yeah. for it to move to a streaming service that i have because i will not pay for another one but i am very much looking forward to bottoms i have not seen it please tell me why i will enjoy it Mav, you will love bottoms i want to say first off i i went to go see this at the theater opening weekend and mm -hmm. basically 
basically nothing else was in theaters, but it was a completely theater of the gayest kids you have ever seen, which <laughs> has never happened to me going into a movie before and was honestly just the most delightful thing. And you could really just based on cursory glances inside that AMC, tell who was there to see bottoms and who showed up by mistake, right? Like, it was absolutely <laughs> so incredibly validating to sit in the theater full of a bunch of other people who were just so excited to see queer representation because Bottoms, based on the trailer, is not the movie that you think it is. The, the trailer looks a lot like maybe you're going to get to see Booksmart or Superbad, but with gay kids. Bottoms is a very dark comedy parody film in which a bunch of gay girls decide that they are going to start a fight club in order to teach other hot girls how to defend themselves as a sort of like, and then they'll see that we're really strong and then we'll get laid. It is a bunch of girls punching the absolute crap out of each other to the point where like things look really painful. The thing that they are trying to defend themselves from is apparently the other school's football team is like incredibly rabid. And the joke is that like their football team is populated with like what have been cast as like the absolute like gayest musical theater kids you have ever seen. <laughs> and so the entire film is just leaning really hard into like a lot of like gore violence but played for joke and also that like theater of the absurd which is this idea of like when you lean into parody that kind of seems like it could happen in real life but is just one step further and so therefore they basically take the joke of like oh isn't it funny how football players are always like touching each other's butts haha that's so gay and then they make the entire football team gay right so it is a movie that is stylistically absolutely over the top i can tell you i have not laughed that hard in a theater over a comedy movie in years and i do not think that this is a humor that exists only for like people who would identify as queer i think that this is a genuinely funny movie about like coming of age learning basically the idea of like how to just be yourself when you're trying to impress a bunch of other people because you like a girl right and like everyone has been through that everyone relate to that but also fight club like what's not to love yeah, yeah i was completely unaware of this but yeah that sounds really okay. fun okay you reminded me of a great film um that also is maybe not what you're expecting and also is kind of not really about fight club but does star a protagonist who wants to be a stunt performer in movies. Did anyone else see Polite Society? No. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful film. So it's a it's like a martial arts comedy that also like cares about Jane Austen. Um, and it features like a British Pakistani teenager. Mm. And as I said, she wants to be a stunt performer. And she also has this older sister and her older sister like has a whirlwind romance and the main character is super suspicious of this guy and like that has hijinks to break them up and i won't talk about the rest of the film because there are a lot of twists and turns and like based on like all i knew going into this film 
was there's like some references to Jane Austen and like it it might be kind of like Bollywood-esque and I was like I like Jane Austen and I've liked the Bollywood films I've seen so yes this sounds like me and it's and it just like always surprising very funny and also if you love you know stories like Frozen where like it it's about relationships between like women and sisterhood film for you you will not you will not expect where it's going and I filled off of films for about women and sisterhood <laughs> this is a movie that I'm amazed and, and maybe somebody else did see it but I'm amazed we didn't do an episode about this given who it stars I saw the movie Joyride Joyride stars among other people Stephanie Sue from Everything Everywhere All at Once I was gonna say this is the movie Hannah missed because this was when I was in the midst of drywall and was too tired to go to the theater and then it was gone. <laughs> yeah, it seriously underperformed. It was another one of those things that, you know, coincident with with there being strikes, no one could really promote anything. So this was Joyride was released in theaters. It actually was re- released on July 7th in theaters and it got no promotion. And it, like none of the cast of it is a big enough name to where they could really sell the movie. Like, I'm honestly, Stephanie Sue is like the biggest star in the film and she's the number three lead. Uh, like the, the Ashley Park is the main character and Sherry Cola is the secondary court character. And then Stephanie Sue and Sabrina Wu are sort of Ashley Park star billing because I mean, she is number two for Emily in Paris and yes. had a very large oh, yeah, Broadway been... career beforehand. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. I don't mean to, I don't mean to imply that she's not famous. She is certainly famous. But she's not, you know, this is not booking Tom Cruise in a movie, right? Like, I understand why this movie didn't do well when nobody could go out and do a press tour because, you know, everyone was on strike. So that was all I was saying. Like, she's none of them are huge names. Anyway, Ashley Park stars in it as she is a lawyer and she was adopted as a very small child. And she becomes best friends with a with an, another little girl. Their names are Audrey and Lola, and they become best friends by virtue of the fact that they are the only two Asian people in town. Audrey's parents are white and they meet this Chinese family at the playground and they're like, hi, are you Chinese? And the Chinese family is like kind of offended. She's like, no, we just, we were wondering if your daughter would play with our daughter. And they're like, why would you ask that? And then they, and then the little girl peeks out from behind her mom's leg and just like they live in a place where everyone was just being too racist to, to play with them. And so the, so the little girls grow up being best friends in then for various reasons they go to china on a business trip and then they are trying to locate her birth mother um years later they meet when they're like five and now they're 28 29 and they're trying to and they're trying to locate her birth mother on this trip and it's beyond that it is a delightful sort of the common mid-range comedies the kind they don't make anymore it, it wants to be like sort of a hangover style movie you know like a hey we're going to go on this glorious road trip, just us gals, you know, and except for, you know, it's a movie about it's a movie that is that, but it's also about representation. It's about identity. It's about,
about who are you if you're adopted and you don't know who your people are. It's about race and racism. It's I just very much recommend it if you've not seen it, I guess, which I guess no one has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It, I mean, it didn't it did nothing. It made 15 million dollars at the box office. It like it tanked worldwide. Like no, no one saw this yeah. when it came out. And yet it's got a it's got a 91 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It is, you know, it, it was delightful, but no one saw it. And I think this is important to once again emphasize to anyone who didn't listen to our show about superhero fatigue. A box a film's box office does not indicate it's a good or bad film or doesn't have work. Mm-hmm. It just means people didn't see it in theaters. Mm-hmm. It was hard to find because it like like bottoms. It was in theaters for fifteen minutes, right? Like like no one. It just no one got to get got to go yeah. to it because it was in and out. I have one more movie. Once again, I think it came out in twenty twenty two. But three thousand years of longing. Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. Enough said. Yes. Didn't see it. Uh, Want to. I I found it really good. He plays a Jin. She's a narratologist who understands story structure. He can only be set free if someone uses all three wishes. And most people in that third wish by putting him back in the bottle because he's too powerful. Also knows stories like you know, the monkey's paw that there are consequences to wishes. So she's really hesitant to make any. And it's their ongoing relationship. And just watching the two of them interact worth the price of admission. So... Yeah. Okay. So another one that I saw <laughs> that this is on my, this was on my box office. And as I'm going to do like Hannah pitching Dungeons and Dragons, I saw the blackening. Did anybody else see the blackening? Yeah. No. So I'm not a big horror movie fan, but I was going to see this one because the premise of this film was the blackening on a Juneteenth party, like 10 friends are hanging out at this cabin in the woods and there's a killer on the loose. And it's an obvious horror movie full of horror movie tropes and horror movie parodies and you know but if it's a horror movie and the entire cast is black they can't all die first so what do you do and that's what you know from the premise i mean there's more to it than that but from the trailers that's basically what they give you is hey somebody's got you know can anybody survive this weekend because the and they they are very self-aware in the film of wait a minute there's a killer on the loose and we're all black this can't go well for us you know you know do you want to split up hell no <laughs> you know, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of what's that noise over there? I don't know. Leave it alone. <laughs> there's a lot of that going on as these people just try to survive this this weekend. And who's you know? And they are. It is. It is being aware of horror movie tropes, being aware of black movie tropes, and sort of being aware of metafiction. So it 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 is. What would Scream be if it was produced for you know for black people and black people? alone but worth watching it is streaming currently on oh what network did i watch it on i'm not i think it might be on stars i'm, I'm not even sure it's on something that i get through my cable package <laughs> like, but i definitely recommend that one and then the last two both of them are movies that i saw both are things you missed because we've never talked about them but they're also things that i think are going to probably get some buzz you know in the next month because we're we're you know we're in Oscar season. And the two are Dream Scenario, a film starring Nicolas Cage. And the other is The Holdovers, a film starring starring Paul Giamatti. Both are excellent. I expect The Holdovers in particular will be in the best picture. It is it is a it is both a academic 
a study of academia and of middle-aged whiteness reckoning with itself and also it's a coming of age picture and it is in a you know an introspection on what is masculinity and it, it's a lot there's a lot going on and it is so good Paul Giamatti literally just kind of goes into this movie and I mean, is Oscar bait in the best possible sense of that like it is he acts his ass off and he gives it everything trying to you know, buy. so this is a movie that I think anybody can enjoy whereas the whereas dream scenario is you know are you on board with Nick Cage or, or not because, because dream scenario is Nick Cage doing the indie movie Nick Cage you know which is weird and introspective but like is not for everybody holdovers I think is for everybody I actually have one other movie okay. just, I'm looking at my list um, just saw this recently and I just suggested this in our group chat Godzilla minus one was remarkable oh yes it was heard that. It, it was so good better than it had any right to be you know I've seen a lot of the Godzilla movies I in general I'm not a kaiju fan and I say that in context of people that Mav and I both know who are kaiju fans yes um, a colleague of mine a, a friend of mine and Wayne but a guy I work with is literally working on a book so, yeah, yeah. And, um, and obviously, if you listen to our show, Katya is picks movies based on is Godzilla in it? That's her first question. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I went to it just, you know, for, for fun. It'd be a fun thing. It, I think I was expecting because I didn't really read anything about it ahead of time. I was expecting to be part of this current monarch, you know, this thing that they've been building in the films. And it's not. It's a it's set post World War Two. It's kind of a retelling of the first appearance of Godzilla. Um, it's so good. It, it's all subtitled. Uh, it's all in Japanese with subtitles. The characterization, all of it, it just—it's so good, and it made me think that we really haven't done an episode on kaiju, and we need to do that mm-hmm. at some point. But yeah, it just—that was probably the most surprising movie to me this year. I expected to have fun with it. I didn't expect to walk out going, "Wow, that might be my favorite movie of the year." Uh, so. I've not heard a bad word about it. I've not heard yeah. anybody say anything negative. Yeah, notorious curmudgeons in my Facebook feed are all loving it. So you know, take that for what it's worth. So yeah, I I have. A- book um and i'm sure as soon as i say you'll all be like of course this is your book i really enjoyed the new novel by sylvia marino garcia um called silver nitrate and it you know what i really like and admire about her writing is she just sort of focuses on a genre per book they're all different genres and she basically kind of perfects it and says something about the genre while really playing by a lot of its rules and silver nitrate is for people who like horror particularly horror films and also i was i a nerd was very excited to see some of the like through a weird connection that I won't explain because it'll, you know, get too deep into the story. There's a weird connection to a Victorian sci-fi novel called The Coming Race by Edward Bueller Lighton. And I was like, ah, I understand this. And I also feel like the the relationship between the two main characters was interesting in a way that like a lot of I, I am a best friend in love with my other best friend. I don't think it really fell into some of the more awkward cliches of that anyway i know that mav isn't the huge like the biggest horror fan not at all yes, but, very much not yeah do so put it my but, life, I love but, the I, blackening. <laughs> but i do think that like this is like you know like like marina garcia is like very interested in tackling a lot of like interesting themes around history and just it's just real, i really liked it i like all of her books did she write mexican gothic is that the- yes Okay. Yes. Uh, Mexican Gothic, Dr. Moreau's Daughter, which is 
kind okay, of uh, yeah yeah and, i haven't read that one yet but yeah and mexican gothic is still my favorite but i think this one was up there and you know i got it from my local library which is also a thing i rediscovered i love um yeah <laughs> for the past couple of years i only have one on my list i mean i read a ton of stuff but a lot of it's just you know, fun and whatever and i know i mentioned this to you Anna barbara king solvers even copperhead which is yes. a modern retelling of david copperfield and it's been a long time since i read david copperfield so i'm sure i missed a lot of the stuff i went back and, and read some you know not reviews summations of david copperfield remind myself of it and she really follows the plot but it's you know set in america appalachian story and deals with a lot of the same issues just issues of poverty and class and all of those kinds of things i liked it a lot i wait i want to tell you i'm 118 in line (laughs) 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 okay so so it's coming soon is what you're saying (laughs) it's on 36 copies so yeah. it'll move a little faster, but wow, <laughs> I've, I've really, and I've really moved that's, up in line. That's funny. You'll probably just give your background. I think you'll get a lot more out of it than I did, but you also might be more critical of it because you're more aware of that sort of thing than I am. So, but you know, on the flip side, one might say due to your background, you might've gotten a lot more than I will. Well, and there, there was a lot of that too. Absolutely. There were aspects of Appalachian culture, you know, not that I grew up in a cave or anything, but there were certainly aspects aspects of it that I recognized the world that the character was growing up in. Absolutely. Yeah, it's literally on my list. <laughs> so I've got some books this year. This was, I've been really trying to read more. And I got to say, I don't know that I read a lot more, but I sat in a lot of LA traffic and I listened to some audiobooks. We're going to count it. The first yeah, book. No, that counts. Absolutely. Yeah, that counts. I read most of my I have, books. I have never been an audiobook person. I personally, up until this year, could not stand audiobooks. But it turns out I cannot stand LA traffic more than I can't stand audiobooks. <laughs> Yeah, I can't do audiobooks personally. I have nothing against them and I count it as reading, but I just I can't my brain doesn't process it. I just yeah. love the yeah. experience, the tactile experience of reading. Like I like holding, mm-hmm. I like feeling really present with a book that I just don't mm-hmm. feel like can be replicated honestly with anything else. And so I've always been a bit of purist. So this is the year that I'm gonna recommend the audiobooks I listen to. But I've I've got a few for us. The first one is fiction, and it's called Babel. B a b e l by R f Quang. It's been sitting on the bestseller list for a while, so it's one that if you're you're a reader, you might have gotten to it already. It is about a fictionalized version of Oxford and the study of linguistics as being inherently colonialist. So it is a incredibly academic sounding book that ends up being also like a fantasy adventure that feels very similar to me to the magician's books, not the TV series, if that makes sense. In terms of it has this fantasy, but this underlying dark current to it. I I think it was based on your recommendation. I read the first volume of The Poppy War, um, same author. I think you're the one who mentioned that on one of the shows. And I like it's another really high listing book. I, I should have added that to my list this year. Um, I, I like it. It was dark. <laughs> and Babel is also really like you think that you were sitting down for a cozy little story about some rainy Oxford translations, and that's not where we go. <laughs> and yeah, the Poppy War had sort of that that Harry Potter. Hey, here are kids studying in a school and you're broken into different houses and whatever. And like, oh my god, there's a lot of dead people. Oh my god. <laughs> 
Wow, a really horrible death. All right, okay. <laughs> I, I have been really enjoying, I think I mentioned that Secret History by Donna Tartt was in my Things You Missed mm. last year, this dark academia genre. I think that Babel is a really worthy addition. So, so that's my fiction recommendation. The other thing I got really into this year is I've been really enjoying memoirs. Um, mm. Absolutely, Britney Spears is the woman in me is the thing that kicked it off. On my list, on my list. Um, Absolutely. Haven't read it yet. I loved it. Michelle Williams narrates the audiobook and does mm-hmm. an absolutely incredible job of capturing me. It is a book that I had to put down multiple times because it is incredibly sad. And if you have ever felt like you have not had the autonomy that you wanted at any point in your life of, as you know being a kid growing up and feeling like you weren't allowed to make any of your own decisions like there is something that is really she does a great job of capturing how she felt in all of these moments which was not something that I particularly expected I knew that I would learn a lot about what happened but I didn't know that I would necessarily know about how she feels and it was a very powerful book that I think should hopefully give a lot of empathy to people who have frankly turned Britney into a running joke. So that was a particularly powerful experience to me. The other two books that I read that really stuck with me was I read Elliot Page's memoir, Page Boy, that came out this year. And my, I'm going to plug, I have a, a wonderful friend who wrote an autobiography that is called Cam Girl by Issa Mize about being a cam girl sex worker. That is an incredibly interesting read about a topic that I feel like a lot of people are not always willing to take seriously. So those would be my recommendations for audiobooks. I really enjoy Cam Girl and Page Boy because they are both read by the author, which I think mm-hmm. if you can't afford Michelle Williams is a pretty nice right. second, right? right. <laughs> Wait, so you're saying that I should choose Michelle Williams over myself for my own life story is what you're going yes, for. If, <laughs> much, yes. if I can Fair afford enough. Michelle Williams to read my audiobook, that is option A. Option B is myself. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> Two of those. Uh, so Cam Girl and Brittany already things on my list. I read a lot of stuff this year that I don't feel like recommending either because it was fiction that I just thought it eh, didn't quite make the level of, you know, so I when I recommend a book, I want it to be a book where I'm like, famously, I, Wayne will remember, I said The Vanishing Half, best book I've read in decades and mm-hmm. brilliant so so like i want to make sure it's that so none of the fiction that i read this year as new fiction really lived up to where i want to absolutely push for it but i do have one book that's non-fiction that i wanted to me- mention though i don't know i mean i don't know how many of us missed it but um is a book called the claremont run by friend of the show andrew yeah. devon my co-host <laughs> on the other show and i mean th- it's impossible for me to pretend that like I'm an impartial an impartial yeah. judge here, but it's a damn good book. You know, like, I mean, yes, it was written by a good friend of mine <laughs> and, but it is. So the funny part is that I got in my capacity as an academic, uh, a lot of times booksellers will be, they're trying to sell their book and they're trying to, to, you know, so they'll write professors and they'll be like, Hey, you teach 
classes in comics. Perhaps you would like to sample this new book, The Claremont Run, and, you know, consider using it on the, in a class. Would you like a free copy? And I was like, <laughs> yes, I would. So I told Andrew, they're like, well, we, we can send you the ebook. We can have it to you in three weeks. And I told Andrew about it. And Andrew's like, I'll just mail you like the PDF. And then he's like, I'll, I'll mail you the Word file. He's got it. And I'm like, I know. I want the free one. I want, I want the free, free one. book. Because yep. <laughs> now you know, you know, like, I'm being offered, I'm being pitched this book from your publisher and he's like but and he's like and, and andrew's like pitch like and andrew goes pitched you're in the book which is true like he literally <laughs> thanks me on the acknowledgement page so it's very odd to be like for them to be like yeah you might enjoy this turns out i do enjoy it it's a very good book and if you're a fan if you're a comic book fan and you want like you know to see academic theory particularly with gender studies and cultural studies applied to chris claremont's run on the x-men it's a real good book you know written by a friend of the show that's my book recommendation i i have one nonfiction. this ties into my music things i'm reading a book called the history of goth and it's yes the history of goth music but it starts with the goth sacking rome oh so, the like like actual visigoth yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes gotcha awesome this spends a tremendous number of pages with byron and shelley and the romantic poets awesome. so from tremendous research building up to all of the things that went into what we think of as a goth so you know you were probably 100 pages into the book before he starts talking about any of the bands or that movement it's just it's been really well done and my interest in music in general I mean, that's never been my absolute genre of choice but i realize i listen to a lot of these bands and you know, he he has chapters on people like the, the obvious ones are there Bauhaus and Susie and the Banshees and the Cure but he dedicates a big chapter to Adam Ant which is not someone you think of when you think of goth but boy he was there in the early days of the punk movement and really influential and a lot of the fashion and the stuff going on and just yeah it, it's really an in-depth look at the music industry in general but goth very specifically but I'd say I, I love you know I like oh here's 50 pages on the romantic poets before we talk about Bauhaus you know, like, okay, that's perfect. Oh. So if you're a music fan and enjoy that sort of thing, it's a really well done, well-researched book. The author's name is John Robb, who was part of the music team at that time in bands that nobody knows unless you're deep into the culture. So he knows a lot of these people. So there are lots of direct quotes that he got exclusively from friends of his in the industry. Talking about goth to just segue into music. I, you know, I, every year it was just, oh, what band did Wayne discover this year that he, he got really into? And there is always at least one that seems like I discovered that a uh, band out of California, a bunch of early 20 something guys, a band called Fever Dog. And they're just so completely up my alley. They are completely, they, they are a glam act from 1972 uh, in terms of their look, in terms of their sound. They it just, they're not doing anything particularly new, but boy, are they capturing that sound really well. And it's so completely up my alley. There's a, a video for their most recent single called We Want Action. There's a song by The Sweet called Action, and Fever Dog apes the harmonies that Sweet does really well. But the video is this great throwback to like those 80s hair metal bands where you have the parents who don't understand what's going on and are trying to get the kids to turn down their music and the kids aren't listening and all that kind of stuff. And it's a bunch of kids sitting in a room playing D&D, &D, listening to Fever Dog and mom knocking on the door to get them to stop. And it's just, it's such a wonderful pastiche of a number of eras that I'm, I'm very fond of. And I guess more than anything else, it just, it's the album I probably listened to the most this year because it is just so much fun. Nothing real deep, just lots of fun. And you see videos of these guys, the, the guitar player in particular, you look at him as like, oh, you have to be a guitar player in a, in a glam band. Just the way you look, you can't pop 
possibly do anything else in your life. <laughs> so, it's like, this is what you're born to do. So like, I'm glad we do this show every year because even when I don't prepare, which is every year, except the first one, because I don't know, I felt like I had to. I always like remember as we're talking things that I didn't think of at first, but I actually really enjoyed was like, oh yeah, that was this past year. And this past year, Kesha released her new album, Gag Order. And I highly recommend, even if Kesha's music has never resonated with you before, to give Gag Order a try because it's totally different. Um, I missed that. I didn't know she had a new album out. It's, I don't really listen to most of the songs by itself. I bought it on vinyl. I put it on and I sit and I let it wash over me. Yeah, um, I'm very album oriented. So I tend to do that just in general, listen to albums more than singles. But I, yeah, I'll certainly give that a listen. Yeah, it's, it, I feel like, and I'm sort of basing this kind of on a paraphrase that's poor of um, Kesha's like kind of own like discussions about this, but it's maybe like her most like personal and like raw album. Like Kesha's faced a lot of legal battles for like a decade now. And hence the, the reference to the album being Gag Order. And she is just very like I, I remember reading reviews of this and they like described the album as like angry and uncomfortable, but like in a good way. And I agree with those reviews. And also yeah. like some of the songs are, are like hopeful. And also one song ends with her saying that in, in her next life, she wants to be a house cat. <laughs> so anyway, listen to Kesha play more Kesha. That's my musical pitch. And I realized that there might come a year where I might actually pick an an artist that's not Kesha, but this year is not that year. (laughs) So I have two games I want to highlight. The first one is called The Fox Experiment. It's a board game. And I would say that if you like games that are kind of maybe on the Catan level or are more complex. This is a game that's fun for you. It's a roll and write. So the most famous one is Yahtzee. It's way cuter than Yahtzee. It's based on the Russian fox experiments where they like bred foxes um, to see like what traits would like become more dominant. And so like it's also like a, you know, game about like heredity and stuff. So you get to like breed foxes and name fox pups and complete scientific research. And Josh and I have had a great time completing scientific research and looking at cute fox cards. There was like a controversy, by the way, of this game where like the designer is super into like conservation and her fans are. And some of the fans on Kickstarter got very upset because of all the plastic pieces. And um, I'm going to be honest, Hannah, I really thought you were going to say eugenics. So just continue. Anything is better than that, right? No, no, no. I mean, one person, like the game, it does like cover like a real life sensitive subject matter. And the makers of the board game gave to causes and like, you know, put a disclaimer. But no, this is a drama about board game geeks who wanted cute fox meeples in wood. And instead, if you bought the deluxe edition on Kickstarter, you were going to get plastic pieces. The, The distributor ended up offering for you to buy the wood pieces for extra. Monica, this is internet chatter. We're back to the beginning. And then the second game is a video game. It's an indie game. And actually, Katya sent it to me and was like, look at this cute thing. And I was like, I'm going to buy this. It's Minko's Night Market. And it's a game about like you make crafts for 
the night market. But also there's a mysterious cat in the village and you are looking for this cat. But also there are some secret agents who keep stealing all the pet cats and putting them in cages and you have to free them. I'm not through the game yet. That's just what I know. It's really cute. And what is life but an opportunity to pursue cute things? And that is why I should get a dog in 2024. I don't know why I keep pitching this every 30 minutes. Like Josh is going to listen to this episode and be swayed. I, for one, support you having a dog hannah hey there that's the best yeah. i can do yep. yeah <laughs> write us a five-star review and in the text you can put let hannah have, have her dog <laughs> yeah co- comics i well you know the last few years not working store i'm not being exposed to quite as many as i was before and, and coming to stuff late i don't feel like i really discovered that new comic this year the stuff i've been reading and enjoying is stuff i've already been into uh, the second volume of nice house on the lake came out early last year and i think that was one of my recommendations last year and still recommend that that series the night current nightwing series which i think i also recommend last year continues mm-hmm. to be good the new volume of that just came out i'm going to go on record here there's a three-page interchange between bruce and dick at Alfred's gravesite that may be the most perfect scene I've ever read between Bruce and Dick. Dad scene? Yeah. Yeah. Just, I thought it was just remarkable. Just like, yep, Tom Taylor gets Nightwing and who Dick Grayson is. Yeah. Just made me remarkably happy. The other thing is, you know, longstanding fandom of Matt Wagner, both Mage, which you guys heard me talk about at PCA a few years ago, but also his Grindle series. He just, so the original Grindle, there was like a short story and an anthology, and then there were three issues in black and white when he was really young and new at this and then he that was canceled he, he didn't finish it started doing it as a backup series in made the original hunter rose story devil by the deed was like I don't know, 90 pages if that of this really kind of gorgeous illustrated stories not comics per se in the panel progression but art deco inspired graphics with text over it. and 40 years later he just released devil by the deed master's edition where he went and added 120 new pages and retold the story wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Like basically he didn't just add it. Like he went back and retold the entire story in that style uh-huh. by his son, Brennan, who wasn't born when the original came out. Um, it's gorgeous. I haven't read all of it yet because it just came out. I just picked it up, but it is stunning. And as a fan of the original and having seen it go through these fermentations, it's kind of fascinating to see him revisit this. Like he's rebooting his own Grindle universe. It's the same story, just with a whole lot more detail. And he's just a, a far more, he's just a much better artist than he was 40 years ago when this first appeared. So as a longtime mm-hmm. fan of that, it, it's, it was a pleasant surprise, something I'm really looking forward to spending some time with. So that's kind of it for my graphic novels. I just, I, I just haven't been, yeah, I've read some, but nothing is standing out. I was like, oh, here's this thing. Yeah, I didn't have anything that I, in the comics world, I had nothing that I really want to say. I mean, there's things that I enjoy, but nothing where I'm like, oh, absolutely, this is for everybody. But my last thing is, you know, something I don't usually recommend on the show. I watch a lot of comics comedy specials i'm a big fan of you know just stand-up comedy going way way back i'm a huge fan of old carlin specials i mentioned earlier that cnn's being been doing these documentaries they re, they did some that were like on comedy of the 70s and 80s and they were showing like they were showing specials from the early 80s and they showed robert klein's H first hbo special with the you know i can't stop my leg and i'm yeah. like i remember watching that when i, I, first, mean, when I first came so out I. So, so you know I. which is because i'm old enough to like where i'm like and, and again it's like so meaningful to me but there was one comedy special in particular this 
year that came out. It is John Mulaney's stand-up special, Baby J. It is on Netflix, and I'm calling it a stand-up special that is generous. I mean, it's a stand-up special in that Mulaney is a very good stand-up comedian. If you're familiar with his work, if you're not familiar with his work and you... I guess the most famous thing out in the geek realm he's done is he is the voice of Spider-Ham in, in the Miles Morales, you know, the yeah. Spider-Verse movies. Yeah. But he's also, he's, he was a writer on Saturday Night Live. He's had a couple of sitcoms, neither of which really went anywhere. He's a longstanding stand-up comedian who has, or who had, still has, he'd probably say he still has, a substance abuse um, problem, which really came to a head two years and change ago where he, I mean, he was a massive, you know, coke addict and it got to the point where all of his celebrity friends had to have an intervention for him because he was going to die. He was literally, you know, people who are relatively tolerant of drug life. He mentions names on it, which are, you know, like like he's friends with Pete Davidson, who obviously has drug problems. He's friends with Natasha Leone. He's friends with Fred Armisen. He's friends with David Spade. He mentions these people who are like famous comedians and actors. And he talks about how he, you know, he came home one day and there were all of his famous friends and some of his non-famous friends were all in this room. And he realizes that like he realizes that oh my god i'm at an intervention because there's no reason why all these people should be in his list and he basically he tells the story over an hour of how he got clean and how he went to rehab that's the special it is and it's live on stage it is honest and raw and it's funny because he's a funny guy like so he'll tell joke he'll tell jokes during it but it is it's just emotional and it's dedicated to so he's if Again, if you don't, for his personal life, he is now married to Livia Munn and they have a daughter who I don't know if the daughter was born while he was in rehab or just after or anything. Like that. So he's like very much trying to keep his life clean, but it's dedicated to them and to like the 15 people who came to his intervention. And, you know, he names them by first names and you can look at them and you can pretty much it's like my friend Natasha. You're like, it's Natasha Leone, you, you know, from context. But it's just this hour special of him talking about what it's like to be to be a comedian whose image was always that he was a clean cut nerd you know but to have this massive drug problem to where it's very much a problem and he's literally talking about the you know the ridiculous things that he did like the massively dangerous massively stupid massively irresponsible things that he did to get high and his trying to avoid rehab and his you know his journey it, it is a confessional it opens with him looking out into the crowd and seeing like a 12 year old boy there and saying oh are you familiar with my comedy and it's like and it's like yeah your parents brought you here and it's like this was a horrible decision on their parts <laughs> this is not gonna be the show <laughs> and they and everybody laughs but it is so good and there's parts where it's uncomfortable to laugh at and i just recommend it to everybody because it is the most honest stand-up special i can remember wow. in a long time and it's not really what's well, not really it's on netflix it's not really topical like political humor or anything like that it's you know there it's jokes but the jokes are all yeah so this interview that it's famous that you might have read 
I don't remember doing it. Uh, you know, yeah. here's me being on SNL. Don't recall that was high out of my mind. Right. Like, there's a lot. There's yeah. lots of that. And it's yeah. really uh, good. Al Cooper talks about like the last three albums he did in the late 70s, early 80s. Memory of because you can play those songs for me. It might as well be someone else. Mm-hmm. Stephen King talks about that with the book. It. Yeah. Well, quite possibly one of the most famous novels written in the last, you know, 50 years. And he's like, mm-hmm. I don't remember writing that. Because yeah. <laughs> people question like the famous scene of the mm-hmm. you know the the kids having the orgy in the stores and he's just like yeah that's super problematic don't recall i don't yeah. he doesn't remember writing the book he's just like yeah i was on so much coke i don't know what's yeah. going on so this is that special I, for john mulaney and it is very good yeah and while you're talking I, i'm gonna throw in one more music thing then we can wrap this up um pj harvey who i've been a longtime fan of released her first new album uh in eight ten years it's called i inside the old year dying she wrote a book poetry this is a lot of that poetry set to music one of the things i i like about her is like a lot of artists i like her stock changing and growing and evolving and I, i'm always interested to see where we go this is not an album you're going to dance to at your wedding but it's it's beautiful it's haunting it's challenging i'm just i'm a big fan of her and her voice and and i say you know, quite honestly the, the two or three albums prior to this while they didn't lose me they're not my favorites first just you know they're, they're things mm-hmm. i like but they're the ones i i don't visit revisit very often and this one came out this summer and i, I picked it up immediately because in, in spite of whatever reservations I've had about the previous albums, I, I'm a big enough fan. I will always give it a chance. And on first listen, it's like, but it just, I kept coming back to it. It just, it, something kept drawing me back to this album. And I think haunting is really the, the best way to, to describe it. Um, it was just some beautiful language. And yeah, so I just add in last minute, one more music though. That's it. I'm done. I didn't enjoy anything else last <laughs> <laughs> so we resolve nothing. Anybody who's still listening at this point, if anything sounded interesting, go try it. That's what we're I think, I think that the editor of the show can resolve to maybe edit it down a little bit, some of the extraneous yeah. details, so people will listen to the show. <laughs> Yeah. This, this, is, yeah, this is week. always a long show, but it's, it's always a long one. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but, but we yes. are making recommendations, and people respond to us. They respect our our opinions. We change people's lives by recommending things to them that that they wouldn't necessarily know about on their own. You're it, welcome. It's actually typically this is one of the. I mean, typically this is one of the most commented shows that we get, where people yeah. are like, "Oh, yeah, yeah I, I did try that." And it, Good. Yep. Yeah. So I hope that people, yeah. I hope people get that out out of this. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna check out some of it. I so for instance, I now nah, I was probably already gonna see Bottoms, but I'm even more interested in that now. For you know, as a for instance, mm-hmm. I was completely unaware of it. It's definitely on my list now. Mm-hmm. My job is done. Oh, I'm so yeah. happy. I'm so yeah. pleased. <laughs> And, and same with Babel. Like I say that that has been on my list, but it's probably gonna move up higher. And well, know that my library hold list is everyone else's <laughs> reading list and I am in line. <laughs> I'm not gonna watch ninety day fiance. I just let me honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If, if we do a show on it, I will. But you know. yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Monica, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Monica Marvelous. That is spelled L-O-U-X, though. I didn't do that on purpose, and I'm a little upset about it. Oh, no. You're a big fan. <laughs> you are now one team Elon. I wonder if, I mean, we recorded this today. I don't even have an electric car anymore, Mav. I can't be team Elon. <laughs> oh, 
but we recorded this today, right? And not two weeks ago. So I kind of like how bad can Twitter possibly have gotten in the two weeks between like that? Like, I remember we had recorded a bunch of shows like ahead of time back when he actually bought Twitter as sort of a things you miss kind of thing. And it was just like, a, we were, and there, so you can go back and listen to them. And you'll see, and you'll hear us say stuff like Twitter, if it still exists, because we were joking about how bad it was going to get. Oh, my God. It's he's only owned it for a year, guys. He bought Twitter a year ago and he's just driven it so far. So yeah, that will be interesting. Anyway, Polydrome Hannah, what about you? Here. And also I do want to remind everyone that according to the news, and this is still relevant, even though we're past the holiday season, that there there might be like a surge in COVID that started like in December, but it will continue going mm-hmm. into January. Follow safety guidelines, wear a good respirator mask in crowds, in public, and air purifiers and good ventilation and i know it's really cold in many areas to sit outside so that might not be an option but it's important to keep our ourselves safe yes but also other people because you don't know what how other people will react to getting sick and that's not just about covid that could be like the cold or the flu or rsv so yeah and also if you don't like the mRNA vaccines, you might want to check out Novavax. I, a lot of people this year for the booster have gotten that. And the only symptom in my small friend group, admittedly, have experienced is a sore arm. So if you haven't gotten your booster yet, that could be an option. And wait, uh, you know, here mostly. I'm looking at my Instagram handle because I never remember what it is. <laughs> I always forget the year, the 2017. That's when I started the account. I never remember. Because numbers are hard. Because everyone else in the world just picks their birth year. But for some reason, you picked the year that you signed up. And I love, I mean, I don't know how much I edited this down in real time. But I love that every time you mention it, this is how it goes. You have to look up your own account name because you forget. Because you picked some arbitrary date. It's so weird. Well, you know, I love how we all have a very different thing to plug. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as always, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Blue Sky, Mastodon, LinkedIn, whichever social media exists, all the places. I'm always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Blue Sky. Those are the ones we're going with for now. At Vox Popcast, you can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. Though I'm not sure if we're going to do this next week. We have to figure out what next week, if if I count it correctly, Hannah, is our 300th show? Yes. So we need to come up with something good. Yeah. So no pressure. So maybe next week is a special 300th anniversary episode, or maybe it's the we'll, box office show. We have to figure that out. We'll figure that we, out we, before you we, hear it. I don't know. We'll, we'll do a 300th episode where we recap all previous 299 shows. Oh, God. Mav, <laughs> <laughs> you can finally do a clip show. You can edit. Yeah, I, yeah. I could, or, you know, that would be an AI thing. That I, I would not i do not have the patience <laughs> to edit a 300 episode clip show but it would be you know we'll see you know anyway you can go to our website at www.boxpopcast.com where you can suggest topics you can give us ideas you can comment on this or any other show if you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do then please subscribe to us on on itunes or spotify or pandora 
or wherever the hell you get podcasts from and do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review. Please leave us a five-star review where you write something and don't just leave the ratings, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. That gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, and really helps us out. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank all of my co-hosts and Katya, who couldn't be here today, for yet another wonderful year of podcasting. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.